0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. Sam here, just wanted to put a real quick cover note on this pod. Um, we sat down with Lee Wybranski up in St. Andrews during the 150th Open. Um, for those of you who don't know, Lee is a golf artist and designer, really. So creates golf logos, branding, um, all sorts of assets for a number of different clubs in America and further afield. But, you know, he's possibly most famous known for his... Watercolors and his major championship commissions, which uh, are, are truly spectacular. Lee's uh, brilliantly articulate. I mean, he's a superb talker, uh, super passionate about the game of golf. Really interesting here and how he tackles these different pieces of work, whether it's a, a watercolor or a new logo. It's it's fascinating. So yeah, look, you, you're going to love it. It's a cracking episode. If you want to hear more from Lee uh, or find out more, then head over to leewybranski.com. And without further ado, it's over to the pod. Watch this.
1: No way! Let's start, like, from the beginning. Were you always a painter?
2: Yeah, I was that kid who was always drawing in the corner from the time I can remember uh you know started out drawing spider-man and batman when i was four or five and then uh <laughs> you know by the time you get to high school you're drawing rock bands or athletes and then uh further on went to art school at university and carried on from there uh wasn't always a landscape painter at all frankly had no real interest in the landscape as a, as a subject when i was younger and, and in university uh but uh golf kind of led me to the landscape and uh now it's something I've come to fall in love with.
1: So you're a, a player first and then a painter of the sport after, if that makes sense.
2: Actually, the opposite. Uh, I, started, uh, I started playing in my uh, mid-20s uh, after uh, receiving my first few commissions in golf. I was uh, receiving a lot of invitations to play some of these great places. My first commission was Wingfoot, Foot, uh, which <laughs> hosted the cool. U.S. <laughs> Open a few years ago uh, for, I think, the how sixth ca- time. How did that come about? What's that? How did that come about? Uh, well, right out of university, I sort of stumbled into this opportunity where I was doing architectural renderings, pen and ink drawings of, uh, of buildings, private estates, small institutions outside of Philadelphia, where I'm from, and uh, did that for a year or two and, and tried to figure out how to sort of grow that business into something more interesting. Uh, so we began to show my portfolio to uh, some of the best clubs around New York City, uh, and Wingfoot was uh, the first. Uh, commission that I received, and uh, that first year or two in golf, all I did were clubhouses. I did uh, black and white, very traditional, almost like uh, etching-looking drawings of uh, some of the most famous clubhouses in the Northeast, and uh, that was really how I got my foot in the door of golf, and, you know, uh, at the club level, and uh, it's a bit of a... I don't know. I feel like this is changing a little bit. The culture of golf is, is changing a bit, but you know, there was a, it's very status driven uh and and once Wingfoot signed us on, it certainly opened a few doors uh, yeah. right away. Well, so yeah. a- after Wingfoot hired hired me, um, you know, I within that first year I'd done four or five other top 100 clubs in the Bro. US and and then all of a sudden I was a golf artist and uh and at that point in time people started saying, "Well, we really love your look. We love your work." Uh, can you do this? And, you know, as a small business person, you say, sure, I can do that. And then you go learn how to do it, and yeah. you figure it out, and you go. Probably like you, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. I
1: it's like situation. I, I find... Um, this is going to sound like a ridiculous question. But I'm going to ask anyway. Um, I look back at some of the early films that we did, and I watch back, and I never regret anything that, that we did or, or created. And even go further back in my, my previous career, you know, I look back at things and go, ooh... Wouldn't do it like that now. Um, but I don't, I don't regret any of those things because every single one of those things led me to where I am now. Um, do you look back at some of the early work and think, yeah, I probably wouldn't have painted it like that now or, that, like that now, or approached it differently? Or do you think you've stayed pretty consistent over the, the I period? I
2: think that... Uh, I still think, frankly, that you're always seeking to improve, you know? So there are things I could look back on and, and, and say that, you know, I would have handled that a little bit differently today, but... Five years hence, hopefully I'll be looking at what I do now and think the same thing, you know, you want to keep keep expanding your repertoire, so to speak. So there's nothing that I've done uh, that really uh, I would say I regret or, or, you know, would do dramatically differently. And also, you know, I've been very aware from the get go that. You're only as good as your last job, so to speak. Yeah. You know, you know, you, you can't put out anything that you're not willing to stand up next to, and I never have. And uh, when I first started painting, I, I I was quite known for the watercolor work that I've been doing for the last you know twenty some years, and uh, I didn't really learn any of that in college or university. You know, I kind of taught myself how to paint watercolor because. I'm very much. I've always been more of a of a draftsman than a painter. I, I'm more of a compositional artist than a yeah. colorist. So, uh, can
0: you? Sorry, that's quite technical, and I'm not. I'm not an artist. So, what do you mean when you say that? Uh,
2: well, uh, some uh, some painters are just extremely painterly. They they have a they have a natural affinity for uh, the feeling of the paint. Uh, they're, they're they're very comfortable with with mashing the paint together and and sort of how juicy and viscous and, you know, the, the, the I don't know what you'd call it, the, the, the texture and the consistency of it, mm-hmm. as well as the color of it. And uh, me, I, I've been much more, uh, maybe because of what I kind of grew up drawing, but I was much more uh, concerned with composition, creating compositions that appeal to the eye and that lead the eye through yeah. it. Um, I don't want to compare myself to any any of the greats, but there's a famous quote which I'll butcher about you know Picasso and Matisse. You know, Matisse is considered one of the great colorists, and Picasso had one of the great lines. You know, yeah. it, it was all about the line, uh, and I feel like you know I'm much more about the line than I am about uh, the color or the hue and the shading. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I began to work in watercolor because I was very much more comfortable on paint paper than I ever was on canvas uh, at the beginning. So uh, I started working watercolor because you work on paper with watercolor. So it felt like uh, sort of more of a gradual uh, step for me and not a leap off of a cliff like jumping right into oil would have been. And then having worked in watercolor exclusively for quite a long time, I began to uh, get back into oil and acrylic and some more forgiving media, which is... You know, uh, a nice relief because watercolor, uh, as you may know, is a relatively unforgiving media uh, or medium. Given that it's transparent, you really can't cover mistakes. Yeah. So, uh, and given that I'm a commercial artist who deals with deadlines, I'm not really in the. <clears throat> pardon me. I'm not really in the position to start something, uh, do some experimenting, and then find out yeah. uh, three days later that it's not working out and start over again. So
0: fascinating. I. I yeah that's really interesting just hearing you talk about you know different mediums and you know what you lean on there as an artist it's a it's an insight that we've not really had on this pod before i mean i would be i suppose most familiar with your major championship commissions that you do and are absolutely famous for and quite rightly because they're brilliant and you talk about composition they're always quite striking because I, I always feel like every major champion <clears throat> every major championship commission you do it's much trying to almost try take that unique feeling. I've got the Lithum one. My wife's from Litham, mm. So I've got your Lithum one in my office. H- how do you approach each of those?
2: Well, the the posters, uh, <laughs> I love the posters because as you fellas may know, we do a lot of logo design, uh, which is very much about real estate, right? Mm. It's, a, you know, you have to... You have to get as much as you can into as small an area as possible. So it's it's very much about efficient messaging. And then on the landscape painting side, it's it's almost like it's like a comparing maybe a a poem to a novel, you know, like with yeah. a landscape, a traditional landscape painting, you could you have all the time and space in the world to include as much detail as you wish. And to me the posters occupy this wonderful middle ground where uh it's more like a short story, I think, where you you really strip it down to what the essential elements are and you focus all of the viewers attention on the essentials yeah and then you just omit all the other extraneous bits that that really aren't necessary uh and and sometimes you might even say in my opinion you know clutter up a picture you know I've, i've never been one to rely exclusively on detail for the power of of my pictures you know mm. i i i try and include just enough detail to keep it interesting for the viewer to find little bits as their eyes wander through the picture but uh... You know, i had no wish ever to be any sort of photo realist where you're just amazed yeah. that every paint of gr- or every blade of grass is painted in there you know so uh... with with the poster work i i i use a lot of bad metaphors but I generally say there can be three characters in the poster, um, and usually more than that, and it gets it, it's, it loses its punch, uh, so to speak. So when and I yes, visit... There are three
0: sort of almost points of interest within there, whether it's the clubhouse or the, the flag mask, or you know, you've got to see the spectators on the 18th fairway this year. That, that's what you mean by those. There's almost thre- exactly more than right. three bits of context, I guess.
2: When, I'll go, when I go to a, 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 cl- a client uh, for the first time or a venue for the first time, uh, especially if it's not one I'm familiar with because it's a different challenge when you go to a place like the Old Course or, or in the States, maybe Oakmont, you know, places where the viewers know these, they know the place. They, they have these yeah. iconic views that everyone in golf knows the view down the 18th, uh, you know, here at the Old Course. So, uh, but when you go to a venue that you're not familiar with, uh, what I try to do first is identify what the most iconic features of the property are and then I try to find a composition that includes each of those important elements in a view that is harmonious and appealing.
0: Well, we should we should probably it would be great. I mean, this is an audio means, but it'd be really interesting for us. I think to maybe yeah. get the get the one fiftieth open. You know, we're looking at the St Andrews. Um, Poster and 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 the work you've done obviously around this open and it'd just
1: be really interesting to kind of see it and And kind of get you to sort of walk us through it. I guess really um, I mean I think When when you arrived you said should I get this out and sounds like no, no, it's fine We know what it looks like but now it's it's interesting because as you talk through methodology it's kind of like uh, it, as a complete novice like not even a novice because I've never painted in my life you think, oh, they just stand somewhere and paint it. You don't think about the what's the thought process that's gone into and what was trying to be achieved. So, right, we've got it here in front of us. Um, I'm sure we can get something online. So, so the wrong way around for you, I suppose. You know it so well, don't you? <laughs> but here we've got kind of an aerial image of. This. So, what? How? First of all, how do you get? Do you get a drone image and, and start from that, or because it's hard for you to imagine where that's come from? Right,
2: so. right. So, this was a wonderful challenge this uh, this project this year because. Uh, as we said, there, there are iconic views uh, and none more iconic uh, here at St. Andrews than the first and the 18th with the RNA Clubhouse and the Hamilton and Lynx Road and all. So uh, the question or the challenge that I face uh, when these types of projects is how to re- repackage or represent the familiar in a new and interesting way that hasn't been seen before. So uh, that was uh, sort of the first criteria that I laid out for myself and given that this is the 150th open and uh, the home of golf I really wanted to showcase the town and the links together not just the golf course but uh, really uh, you know one of the things as a you know a foreigner here one of the things uh, that really strikes I think most Americans when they come to St. Andrews especially for the first time is just how integrated the golf and the town are to one another I mean it 's not new to to you fellows, everyone knows uh, all the stories of the courses closing on Sundays and people walking their dogs and you know how it's part of the town and, and common land etc but uh, I really wanted the artwork to somehow uh, showcase that that unique integration that exists here and, and frankly probably no place else. Uh, I also uh, wanted to you know with the crowds here i wanted to show some of the things that you find at the open championship that you just don't see anywhere else as well and i thought that uh you know the way that uh the the, the spectators are allowed to encircle the final green on open sunday mm. is just one of those
1: yeah it's one of those great things right it's one of the brilliant exactly. things about this event well it's, it was uh, the pga when is at kira which was i think it happened then mm-hmm. it's absolutely not tradition to happen there but it's one of those things that i think you get at the open which is there's just so much excitement you can't control that many thousands of people and they just had they couldn't they just had to roll with it there but it's a great tradition they do do this year sam and i wax lyrical about it but we went to the amateur at Lytham mm. um this year and watched that and it's a very different experience because you walk the fairways and yeah like, like you used to and um It is a great tradition we have here. So you try to... some great little bits of detail with people in the water
0: and you sort of, you you pick them out, don't you, over time. They're kind of, yeah.
2: There's a bit more detail in this. I mean, this scene requires, in my view, you know, you have to serve the picture. Uh, I don't... Like to have a ton of detail unless it's necessary. In a picture like this, I feel like it is necessary. You know, the the architecture you can't you can't do uh, you know a half-assed job rendering the buildings here. Uh, you know, you need to you need to make sure all your perspectives are correct and all your corners are square, etc. Otherwise, you know, I, it ends up looking a little bit amateurish to me.
1: Well, um, uh, my only criticism, Lee, is that if you'd uh, <laughs> if you'd taken the image from a little bit left, you would have got you've, you would have got the building that we're sat right now. We're just tucked behind the Hamilton there. So So, unfortunately, we haven't made it. But the the, uh, other detail in the architecture is, did it take you long to to paint?
2: This is one of the longest I've ever taken. It really almost drove me over the edge, this piece. (laughs) It it was really, really... I mean, I lived with this for two and a half months. And I also, I I moved my studio in the midst of this painting, which uh, added a little bit of uh, personal stress to it. But, uh, you know, if you look closely, all these little outfits, you know, I'm no uh, fashion designer and I'm not even much of a fancy dresser, frankly, but having to try and come up with all the different outfits (laughs) and, uh, you know, there's a lot of little bits and odds and ends in there and, you know, the stripes, the polka dots, the hats, the shorts, everything, it it all... It needs to, there needs to be a lot of variety in there because yeah. that's what makes the picture interesting. You can't just paint you know, the same outfit on everybody. So uh, it really required uh, a lot of extra imagination and a lot, yeah. of m- a lot more fine brushwork than I generally employ. Because so.
0: also colors have to go together so neatly and your paintings are so colorful. I can imagine if you start getting the color balance wrong in some of the garments people mm-hmm. are wearing, the whole thing would quickly start to look a bit um, See, Even things
1: like the shadows... Like that must be so annoying because they're all been <laughs> pointing in the right direction and all things like that. I must. I suppose you have to get the orientation of the sun right as well. Yeah, so That's yeah, just, well, that's just an obvious
0: thing, right?
2: For yeah. sure. Yeah, things like that uh, stand out. I mean, they only stand out if they're wrong. That's like yeah. a lot of things in visual art. Mm-hmm. Like I feel. If everything's right you don't necessarily notice any of it but if it's wrong you you notice it right away so all those little things
0: you always kind of then commissions go to the champion as well is that right do you do they well the
2: original pieces uh i retain until we sell them I, i seek to sell them to the host venues first and uh if they decline i will uh often approach the winners yeah uh so you know pulling for Rory in more ways than one this week because uh he owns two of my paintings already uh okay. for his victories at the US Open at Congressional and then at the Open at Hoylake so uh I'd love for him to be uh, the proud owner of this uh come the end of the day today. Uh, so like a number of the players on
0: re- it's almost it's it's in the feels like the narrative isn't it feels like Rory obviously we're going to find out later today but everything going on around the game we it's hard not to pull for Rory, I think, in, in many respects. I,
2: you know, like they've been saying on the t- on the television, I think uh, 99% of the fans out here are pulling for Rory. He's just, he's due and he's just such a great spokesman uh, for the game. He's so articulate. I, I said over and over this week to uh, a lot of uh, folks from here, I, I think that, you know, the Europeans always are more interesting interviews uh, in, in the media. They just give uh, less you know automatic uh more thoughtful <laughs> more, more insightful candid. responses yeah. and and rory's maybe you know i mean some of the guys might be more funny you know you think of lee westwood and his famous like you know uh drunken interviews or uh, <laughs> after the Ryder cup <laughs> yeah. and whatnot and i mean he might be uh, a little bit funnier but i think rory is just an incredibly insightful and intelligent guy and he's so well spoken and uh i love uh, uh he's so i don't know Mature, he, he owns up to things and uh, recognizes his strengths and weaknesses. No, I just, I'm a fan like most people here, and uh, I'd love to see him carried off
0: today.
1: It's been a great celebration this week for. But I but mean, you've, what is you've obviously yeah. been doing. I've seen on Instagram you've been doing some uh, some painting around yeah. and about. What have you been doing around about the Open this week?
2: We did a little campaign this week because uh, I love to get out on the golf course to paint during the events to sort of document the championship. It's a real treat for me to do something. These studio paintings, you know, they take you know hundreds of hours sometimes and and it's a very different animal uh you know it's more crafted uh whereas getting out there is more sort of gestural more trying to get quick impressions down and uh it's a real treat to be uh, the artist for these uh championships so i i i take it i uh, take the easel out as often as i can yeah. uh to get out there and just uh kind of stretch my legs creatively it's yeah. a too much studio work uh, is kind of bad for your psyche. I feel like you know I, I, when you're working from photographs exclusively. Uh, for me personally, it tends to make me very, very tight over time, very methodical in my work, and I, you know, the the, the, the sort of more impulsive and spontaneous uh, aspects of uh, the creative act uh, become fewer and fewer. So. Getting the paint box out, going to the Jigger Inn, or painting the Seven mm. Sisters—things like that—you know, during the event, it's, re- and it's
0: always like revitalizing, isn't it? It sort of sparks more creative juices. It Jesus. really
2: puts gas in the tank, yeah. you know. It 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 really charges me up, and uh, that part of uh, the creativity uh, sort of gets depleted. I feel like uh, in the studio over time, and it definitely it gets you excited, and uh, even interacting with uh, you know. I have some fans and collectors now, having done this for a lot of years, and uh, it's great to just be out there and, and, and talk with people and just hear how people enjoy, uh, you know, watching the work and, and enjoy viewing the work and all that kind of thing, so uh, just that part of it is really exciting, too, that sort of, like, uh, interpersonal mm-hmm. uh, affirmation and encouragement But we uh, got that as welcomed. well with
0: the jaw, like, we're, we're, you, you, can, you can just feel so stale sometimes when you aren't necessarily travelling or getting new experiences constantly and you, you I think you summed it up beautifully there it just puts gas in the tank that's exactly how when we go on tour and stuff it's like you just feel revitalised with <laughs> ideas like you it's, you it's, want a, bit of a, it's downs, a bit of a, a
1: normal distribution because you get revitalized and then you get exhausted. Yeah. And when you're training Rosa in the week, garden all afternoon, the exhaustion yeah. also comes in a little <laughs> bit. There. Uh, yeah, the, we're probably overindulged a bit in the week as well, which always tends to take it out of you a little bit. But um,
0: can we talk about logos? I'd like I, to talk yeah, about
1: logos. I, I mean, I'm obsessed with golf logos.
0: M- most people who listen too. to this podcast, there's something really weird about golf logos, it, like no other sport. Where there's this obsession over logo bingo, where you wear logos, what each logo would mean to you in relation to pieces of apparel or whatever, how they're designed. There's some disgusting golf logos out there, <laughs> yeah, and there are some outrageously good ones. You haven't, you've seen our logo, right? We have a little logo as well. Okay, Do you rate our logo? Let's start with
1: first of all. Do you like the logo?
2: I do like it. If you're going to ask yeah. me to actually critique it, I want to have it in front of me because okay, uh, okay, I, okay, I, okay. I don't want to misspeak.
1: I'm going to get it up, but it's, uh, it's actually... I know a, you have a
2: monogram uh, worked in there, which is sort of a quirky, very old old school it's, looking oh, monogram. It's, it's coming
1: here, Sam. Okay. It's also okay, got yeah. some plagiarism in there. I wonder if you can pick it <laughs> out. It's a, its an homage to a... Have we
0: got our logo? A in fact, I get it on the
1: podcast artwork. It's got an homage it's everywhere, to, to, but a, to it's all over. golf club in America in it.
2: I mean it's the C and the G are reminiscent of Oakmont's monogram uh, but there's a lot of CCCs out there in the states that have that little point uh, on the ends of the C I'm not seeing any direct plagiarism so you have to uh, <laughs> I'd
1: say it's well, that's good cuz uh, we the uh, want to be a taken task, ambience, But so. it's it's in the, uh, it's got a little bit of an homage to uh, Atlanta on Atlanta Athletic uh, Atlanta okay. Athletic But do you like the logo yeah.
2: I do like it. I do like it. Not I think, bowled over. Well, you know, you in, my view, uh, honest. in my view, In my I could tell you this. I don't, I don't want to be pejorative, uh, but I will say that uh, the trend, I've been doing logo design in golf uh, since 99 was our first. Atlantic City Country Club was our first logo client in golf. Wow. It was over 100 years old at the time, uh, and uh, it had changed ownership, and we were brought in to create a new mark that would – Celebrate the history, but be something more functional moving forward than what they had in place. Uh, So uh, In general, I would say in the last 25 years the logos that move the needle most in golf are image based. Yeah, and Monograms are always going to be part of the picture. Mm -hmm. You know these letter form logos uh, They're always going to have their place at the table Um, but I feel like you know generally speaking our clients want something that's More pictographic in nature, so the iconic uh, ones of Mary. That's really the only. I mean, the thing about your mark, I think that is quite nice because it has a very old. It looks like it could be a hundred years old or, or something like that, and I think that that's that's really what you want. It's it's very it's harder to be original with a, a letter form logo and it's harder to sort of have personality yeah um and i think you accomplished both of that so uh in that regard and and we've we've done monogram and letter form based logos for sure over the years but um i just feel like the trend is more like you know one of the logos that we're best known for over here is the the, the hair the waterville logo yeah, uh, yeah. the hair uh, the irish hair that we did for them and i think that uh so that's yours
0: i didn't know you did that one okay yeah. wow
2: that was uh you know very proud it's probably our only uh i mean we did we did our first royal uh royal golf club logo over the last couple of years we did uh, a new logo for royal port moresby in uh, papua new guinea Uh, they reached out to us through social media and uh uh, i didn't uh you know it, it wasn't a project that required travel but uh i was very excited i mean i'm you know i feel like uh, exactly as you described, your audience is sort of you know that's how I've been uh, since I got into golf. You know, even though I got into the game late, I jumped in with both feet. As as like a lot of artists do, I think if if something captures your imagination and your attention, you know, you want to learn everything about it. And mm. and uh, when I got into golf, I read all the old classics, you know, the hundred year old books, and all the way up to the new things. You know, just looking for basically what was authentic you know because even more so in america i feel like there's there's sort of lots of baggage that comes along with golf that's sort of less appealing you know there's certain you know whatever you want to say political uh baggage you know uh things like that so you know but at at root the game is you know that's what i would always say the game you can't compare to anything it's Mm. just so it's so pure so so maddening so you know that great palmer (laughs) quote you know it's it's the most superlative of everything that, uh, oh, wow, that, that a game a can be. So, so yeah. um, I was always looking for what we used to call the authentic experience of golf, you know, the, the, the truest authentic representation of the best in the game. And so uh, whether that was literature or books, you know, and it went in the 90s, for example, you know, you had Kenneth Reed, you know, the great, uh, the great artist who do, who's done a lot of work uh, here uh, for the RNA, uh, whose work I'm a great, great admirer of. Uh, but then in the States, you also had these sort of, you know, gaudy, awful, inspirational posters with, like, some, you know, tepid, motivational quote underneath a picture of an island green or something. Yeah, you know, and it was yeah. just, like, the tackiest thing that you yeah. could imagine. So I was looking at these, you know, and, and everything in between. And as an artist trying to find my way in yeah. this in this space, I was I was always looking for cues from from greats who had gone before, you know. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff out there that was just, I I know I don't want to do anything like that. And then you'd find other things, you'd be like, wow, that's really good. I could, you know, I could lift a little bit of that and put that into my work, you know. So I was always looking uh, for the authentic uh, and the best uh, elements of uh, what had been done before and and try to make my sort of contribution to that legacy.
1: So when you go to um, a clubly. What, what is it that if if you're commissioned to do a logo, what is it that you're trying to uh, to do in terms of how do you choose an image that you'd like to base it around? How do you isolate that image and create a logo from it? What is it you're trying to see and capture?
2: It's similar, as I said, to the poster in terms of uh, trying to identify what the key elements are. You know, I mean, a logo is is essentially visual communication, visual messaging, so. You need to identify what the message is, you know, what's most important uh, to the membership. And, you know, that's really the great litmus test for the success or failure of our design and uh, work and branding is... You know, we've designed many, many great logos that are still on the cutting room floor because they didn't fit the membership. You know, yeah. if it, it, it can be as lovely and interesting looking as possible. But if it doesn't move the needle with the members of the club, then, you know, it's not right. It's not the right thing. So uh, trying to identify exactly what the message is and in, in terms of by message, I guess I, I, I could reword that and say you're trying to understand the culture of the club yeah. Yeah. as it is today. Yeah. You know, one of our great clients uh, of the last couple of years was a club called uh, Weburn in Darien, Connecticut. And a great club, Willie Park Golf Course, uh, 125-year-old club wow. in a very posh town in the northeast part of the United States. You know, some great clubs all around it. And they had never had a mark that was up to the level of every other amenity at the club. And they knew it. Uh, so, And their 125th anniversary, they decided it was time to invest in this and try and rectify this situation. So uh, that was a, that's become a very interesting uh, segment of our wheelhouse, is not just branding for golf clubs, but branding for clubs that might be 80 or 100 years yeah. old or more. Because you need to create a mark that speaks to the past, but most cases today, no one wants something that's traditional or vintage looking anymore no. i mean there was a time yeah. when vintage
0: was not do you remember it was you know we would always call them over here like you know premiership football clubs have huge logos mm-hmm. and you saw that a lot of golf things would be these huge crests yeah with all this detail lo- you know, like tennis rackets of and rifles yeah, and, and words yeah. and it's like actually the clean aesthetic i mean right. i you know, the, you, I always think that the great logos. As I say the, the logos that I think are absolutely out, outstanding are things like Marion with the wicker basket, or Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. or you know, Wingfoot. These are just very crisp and clean logos that. And each one of those have those kind of units. I mean, it's easy with Marion. It's like the wicker baskets. It feels like it's a layup. You know, it's, it's, it's all easy well, for it's you. Well, it's funny you
2: say that because of those three, I think Marion, I mean, not everyone knows this, but that logo, which Marion's at 1896 is the date under their logo. Hmm. Uh, that logo was designed uh, by the golf professional Bill Kittleman on a cocktail napkin in 1979. Really? That famous logo, wow. which is the most beloved logo in golf, at least in the States, Uh, and everyone assumes for obvious reasons that it you know is some original mark I mean that's one of the selling points that I use for our logo services is Marion had one of those old shields because Marion Golf Club was originally an offshoot of the Marion Cricket Club, uh, which still exists. And Marion Cricket Club had one of those big shields with the mm. scroll and all the different elements. And that was, you know, the, the golf club's logo was the same logo for many, many, for decades and decades. And then uh, Bill Kittleman, who's still uh, with us and, and works with Gil Hands uh, as part of his uh, design team, uh, he was the golf professional at Marion for for a few decades, and uh, he designed that logo in the late '70s and, and implemented it in the early '80s, and it's become one of the great wow. ones. And it, I don't think it really was a layup in terms. I mean, it was very creative. Uh, the other two that you mentioned, I feel like are you know when a club has a name like Winged Foot, yeah, you know what are you gonna what are you gonna make the logo? I yeah, mean, it's pretty I straightforward. Yeah. And when a club uh, is Sleepy Hollow, where the headless horseman was written. Mm. I mean, that's not too much of a challenge no, either, no, so to no,
0: speak. No. You know, they're just the ones that jump out to me off the page. I, mean, I don't know. I'd be really interested. What of the logos that you kind of see in the game and around where you're like, yeah, do you know what? I just, I just absolutely love that logo. Be a golf club or otherwise. What, what, what are some of your favorites? Wow.
2: Well, my favorites. I mean, it's not that original. My favorites are much like everybody else's. I mean, I'm also from Philadelphia, so yeah, yeah. I was born a few miles from Marion. And I'm um, as a big lover of golf history. I'm a I'm a huge fan of great clubs that open themselves up to championship golf, you know, because, you know, right across the river from Philadelphia, you have Pine Valley, which, yeah. you know, legendary mystical place, but very few events in their you know yeah. saying, saying, but marion on right? the other hand has had bobby jones yeah. ben hogan yeah. jack nicholas and trevino's famous you know so you know i, I think it's a, a very generous act when a great club uh, that's that private opens its doors uh to so i'm uh, marion's logo and, and marion as a club is just a dear and a near and dear place to me
1: i there's a big thing in Britain certainly I and mean, it certainly seems like it's appearing more and more often that, that you get two logos for a club mm. You've got the club logo that anyone can buy and you've got the members logo. Is this a big thing in America? Uh, and is it kind of more of a trend that, that's that's coming out and also How do you go about approaching a separate logo to identi- identify the same place?
2: It is a it's an interesting trend for sure uh, and in our experience, we, we've we've worked with secondary logos quite a bit over the last few years. I feel like it's really come up in the last few years. The member logo is something that has existed, uh, I kind of feel in, in my you know someone can correct me out there if i'm wrong but i feel like pine valley was the originator of that in the states really? uh their their logo was a shield alone for the members and and if it had the name underneath of it that was the guest logo so yeah the logo yeah. was the same It just same either had type failed. or it didn't yeah and Something that's wrong. how people yeah. could tell whether you were in or out uh i am not a huge proponent in general of uh the member logo versus the guest logo uh but the way that we've uh, experienced and encountered and created secondary logos over the last five years or so is uh another great another great recent client is wilmington country club in uh delaware uh i believe 1909 right 36 uh, hole facility biggest club best club in the state uh many people feel of course uh, <laughs> always subjective but uh so th- this this club had uh you know what, what we used to call the lifesaver logo it's uh you know the ring yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's my my you know having looked into this and and seen it so many places i think a lot of that stuff comes straight from over here and i think it's a championship belt you yeah. know it's it's a it's a circular belt with a buckle and they have some cross clubs and some you know the name of the club encircled around it or within it uh again a great club that you know the the logo because these logos didn't, they weren't intended to do what they're used for now. You know, a, a club crest or a club seal from 1919 or 1925 was never intended to to perform the functions that a golf logo does in today's day and age. So consequently, most of them fall short. They, they either need to be four inches tall to be cleanly embroidered, mm-hmm. or even if you can see what you're looking at, they're just not that interesting because they are intended to be sort of more of a, a seal on the stationery than anything else, so anyways, in the case of Wilmington, uh, they had this mark, and it 's written into the bylaws of the club that this is the the club 's mark, <laughs> so there, you know it would have been a lot of political arrows to try and you know create a new official logo for the club, but everyone recognized that the logo didn 't really represent the club the way That the members wanted it to in terms of on their apparel on their golf bags on their scorecard and such so we've ended up creating a lot of secondary Logos which exist as what we call merchandise marks. So it's it's a more pictographic logo Mm -hmm. uh, That then gets used for you might say unofficial uh, applications, which is generally speaking soft goods And then on golf operations on the flags on the scorecards, Mm -hmm. etc. So in the case of wilmington country club uh, they trying to figure out how to make this a short story but uh they uh it's a it's it's a very old piece of property uh, the very first merino sheep in the new world were brought over uh by the dupont family it was a gift from the king of france to the dupont family this
1: is get, this is getting deeply this, like, this is the stuff we
2: like i mean this is this is like this i is love this home. too in i'm the glad weeds, you do this is what we love i'm glad you do so I mean, when you find a story like this, you've got to dig and dig and dig. And when you find a story like this, you're like, it's pay dirt, you know. It's eureka moments. And the eureka moments don't always happen. I mean, they, usually they don't. But in this case, uh, thanks largely to the director of golf there who unearthed a lot of this. So the very first Merino sheep in the New World was a gift from the king of France to, to the DuPont family. The DuPont family were munitions uh manufacturers during the revolutionary war in america they became and they still are the dupont corporation is one of the largest multinational chemical companies in the world Uh, and they were uh they achieved their initial uh significant wealth by selling munitions to both sides of the war and um they were uh, french uh originally by descent had uh, many relations with the old country uh anyway, Irene Dupont, no, no, anyway, I don't want to get the names wrong, but the, this original merino sheep was gifted uh from the king of uh France. It came over on the USS Benjamin Franklin uh to the New World, uh to the home of the Duponts. The Dupont family, they own thousands and thousands of acres near incredibly Wilmington. Wealthy one, they and incredibly. the Wilmington Country Club now resides on Uh, Some of the property from the original DuPont estate, right? So there's one structure on the golf course that you can see from everywhere and it's a sheep barn And that's what it's known as the sheep barn Uh, And we were looking at this logo, or we were looking at this building as as the logo for a while, because you could see it from the veranda when you were eating, you could see it from the tennis courts when you were playing, you could see it from the fitness facility when you were on the treadmill, and obviously Mm -hmm. you could see it from the golf course, so it had this ubiquitous quality to it, which is one of the things that we look for when... You know, because especially for a big club, you can't make something that's too golf centric often because there's other constituencies at the club that need to be in support of Mm -hmm. and and to wear this mark. So you try and find something that's going to have broad appeal and the barn had the broad appeal. But then again, it was a barn, you know, and it really (laughs) it, it wasn't sort of elegant. Uh, lots of times when you're doing logos based on literal scenes or literal structures, you get married to a colorway, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to do the barn in the actual color and that doesn't look good on half the things that you want to wear. So you run into all these sort of technical user challenges. So we were, we were working with the, the barn quite extensively. And then we started digging deeper and deeper and finding out about this, this, uh, this Merino sheep. So it was called the sheep barn because that's where they originally bred Merino sheep in the new world. And this very first sheep was a stud ram named Don Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that was a layup. Once we found that out. So, Don Pedro is their new mark. It's a, it's a, it's a stud ram uh, with just 1909, boy, I hope I'm getting the date right, but underneath of it. And uh, it's just, it's been absolutely crushing it. We rolled it out last spring, spring of 21. And it's just been flying off the shelves. Uh, we make a little hang tag for a lot of our new club or our new logo clients when they're putting the logo on new new garments for the shop in the shop for the first time, we'll make a little hang tag with the logo on one side and the story of the logo on the other side. So this was a wonderful thing because, again, as, as a lot of great clubs, you need to re-educate the members. To You know, the members don't, they just, yeah. they take so much for granted. They come in and out every day. Yeah, they yeah. don't pay attention to, yeah. to to what's around them or, or the history or any, you know, ma- many of the members, you know, they might be new. I mean, a lot of those types of clubs have multi-generational members, but, you know, a lot of golf is booming there, like here, and most of, half the members might just be the last five or ten years, and they don't know anything. And so you get to really re educate the membership about some unique and fascinating part of their history. And that was a great story. It's a brilliant
0: story. It's, it's fascinating. Just, I've just been trying to look for the logo I'll there. Find I, it. I, I can't ju- find it. But I can see what you mean that the initial ones, it's not the best with the hoop and the clubs yeah. that cross over.
1: And, and it's stuff, just one yeah. of those things that, I mean, I would have had no idea there was that amount of research that goes into a logo that's being created. You just think, oh, I need to make something cool, or oh, whatever it is. And what's nice is that they have this logo, and hopefully the, the membership gets educated enough that someone says, why well, have you got a ram on your shirt? And bang, there's the story. And there's a huge amount of detail and knowledge that you can go down with to try and educate visitors and people that want to come about the club's history. But exactly
0: that, that, that stuff is what makes this game brilliant. Like you mm-hmm. say, in the superlatives you're linking it to, talking about, and the purity of it all. It's just brilliant, isn't it? That that sense that you can have that whole little story encapsulated in one tiny forty mil logo on your on your on your left breast. It's like, yeah, sold. I, I I'm curious. Logos obviously have been through different you know different purposes. But I mean, they were used 130 years ago. They were used for completely different purposes anyway. And colours and merchandise. And we've had the big rosettes with scrolls and everything. And now we've got clean little sort of. You know, the artwork that's going on there, is it naive to think that maybe what's cool today is probably not going to be cool in 50 years' time? Where does that go? I don't know.
2: I don't think it's... I mean, I think it's inevitable. Um, I think... I mean, taste change, of course, uh, but I think one of the things that's more interesting, perhaps to me, uh, than that aspect of it is how some of the rules are changing a little bit. Like, uh, you know, one of the cornerstones of good branding... uh, Historically, always was consistency. I mean, you always see Coca-Cola in the same script and in the same color red. Mm. You know, every time, mm-hmm. and that—that's kind of that foundation. That's a foundational element to uh, you know to branding and logo design. They in, made Father Christmas anything. red,
0: didn't they? What's that? They made Father Christmas red, didn't they? I he think that. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's, that's my that's understanding. Yeah. like it became red because of Coca-Cola. Yeah,
2: but I think like uh, one of the uh, things that's changing now is. Uh, i don't know i don't know how broadly applied this will be within the world of golf but like sweeten's cove uh Mm -hmm. which i'm sure you're familiar with right so sweeten's i i think they've got a family of about two dozen or so logos now
1: really you know
2: Uh, and they're just breaking the mold i feel like which is really really interesting i mean i don't know that that would work for you know
1: that's a sort of a hipster spot and people love to
2: follow it i mean that's not going to work for a 100-year-old golf club Somewhere that at the Mulefield,
0: it? yeah but it's like it's it's experimentation it's in really interesting hearing about things at the tree farm that zach's working mm-hmm. on and that whole concept that when you're a founding member there's like almost a sorting hat and you pick out a logo and that's your logo for a subset of the membership and then you've right. got some internal tribes and the fact you can have these different logos because they do look good on different pieces of merch you know i mean if we were if we were doing more in the merchandise we'd probably have another couple of logos that we might use or do event specific well, Let logos. us know if
2: you ever want some help with that. As <laughs> long <laughs> I mean, I mean, you don't go for a monogram. I mean, you know what?
0: You know, yeah, we we wouldn't corny on the pod. But I mean, yeah. Doing something with a little logo that might be cool, that would be, be amazing to see how you would approach the cookie jar because creatively there's there's some stu- there's some stuff there for sure. I mean we could Yeah, it's Any Anytime
2: re- you have a descriptive name like that, it's you know, it's so much well, people always too. ask why a is it called Cookie point. Jar,
0: don't they? And like this week, obviously, loads of people go, well, the hell is Cookie Jar? And what on earth, what on earth have you called it that? But you remember the President's Cup? I think it was '9. Tiger Woods was wearing that big kind of purple crosshatch jumper. And he hit a four iron. And his arms kind of go outstretched. And after he like you know he marches after it with his arms forward, and he just dips his his left arm down a bit when he drops the club, and it looks like his hand's going in a cookie jar. <laughs> so it's a bit of a tiger reference there. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I yeah. always
2: assumed it was just sort of like, uh, you know, th- cookies. Like c- the great the great golf experiences are treats. Yeah. You know, they're like these treats that you aspire to, and you you know you that's generally, a so generally if you're story. if you're a golfaholic, <laughs> you want to yeah. like. You're always sneaking off to try and like get a little <laughs> bit, you know, like a little kid who's trying to get his hands into the jar. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you tell your boss that you know y- your wife's sick, so you can run off.
0: Exactly, and play exactly. <laughs> That's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. But it's a it's a fascinating discussion, and uh, yeah, I mean, we could go for hours. But, but it, I'm mindful of your time. Yeah, of your time. time but
1: just uh, before we go, Lee, we're probably I know you've you've said that. We all want Rory to win. I think. I think it's fairly common. We all want Rory to win. He's going to be teeing off in five hours. Um, what have you got planned? Are you going to get on do some painting today, or are you just going to go out and enjoy it?
2: I think today is going to be an enjoyment day. You know, it's been a it's been a, a long week, and uh, I'm not certain. I, I, I mean, I'm going to freewheel a little bit today. You know, the the posters are sold out uh, as of yesterday, so. I'm footloose and fancy free today, and I might just revert into uh, being a, a fan, a fanboy like the rest of us over here.
1: Are they? Are they all sold out online? If, if people want to get stuff online, no, they they're on. they're
2: available at least on our site, uh, LeeWybranski dot com, and they may still have some at the open site as well. I'm not certain of that, but You're here, able to here on sell the grounds
0: for all the all the major commissions through your website, right? That's or, right. So any That's of those, right. we can you, people can go on and get them. And
2: I had this one too, which I brought for you guys just to to show you. The, oh, uh, beautiful.
0: The US Open at Brookline. Small <laughs> Do you know, wasn't that a brilliant major though? The whole story. I know, oh, you it know was the Francis poetry. stuff starts to get quite a bit after a week of it straight, but you know, the yellow clubhouse and the, the colouring then within is the first thing that I guess stands out on this one.
2: Yeah, well, that was very much uh, uh, deliberate, and you can see comparatively, you know, very different looks. Uh, This is sort of a a, a style that I've been working in uh, in, in over the last five years or so. Just a little bit punchier. The watercolor work, uh, you know, has this sort of ephemeral, timeless quality to it, and uh, I really wanted to, yeah, (laughs) that's uh, Clyde the squirrel. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows the Squirrel of Brookline, but uh, they're on Clyde Street, so uh, we decided we'd name the, the, the Squirrel Clyde. Because the course <laughs> is, the loops of nine
0: or whatever that they they create the championship course out of is called Clyde and Squirrel, isn't it? Which I think is that one nine and the Clyde, other. Clyde,
2: Squirrel, and Primrose are the three right. nines there, So I what's believe. the
0: significance of the Squirrel with Brooklyn?
2: I'm not certain of that, you know, which is uh, odd. You'd think I would know. But um, one of the other things that's so peculiar, I feel like, is the Two of the oldest clubs in America, the Country Club at Brookline and Oakmont, mm-hmm. have, uh, of both China. have uh, yeah. squirrels. I mean, obviously, the, the Country Club is a yellow squirrel, you know, with green uh, rendering uh, and not so with Oakmont. But they're very, very similar in terms of their positions, and uh, I'm not really sure uh, how, how it came to be the squirrel there. Well, I Don't think know. you did
1: fantastically to avoid Francis We house because when there was, the coverage was on, you just could not get away. From <laughs> do you know her. the
0: membership and apparently buying that house and they're going to move it closer and bring it right into? So I mean, it's already oh. close proximity, but they've yeah, bought it's right it across and lift the road it yeah, and move th- it. So it becomes, I didn't know that, and I think something to do with using it for caddies to play or like members are gonna move like it onto the course i mean that's uh, the I mean, thing you guys in america have budgets that are just <laughs> totally different to the way we, we operate like you stick two zeros on it but look, we digress lee you've been a superb podcast guest oh thank brilliant, you um, brilliant to hear you kind of narrating through about how you approach this stuff and talking so eloquently about the game um yeah so a big thank you for finding time
2: Oh that's great. Great to be with you gentlemen. Thanks for the invitation and uh, have a wonderful open Sunday.
0: And we will be taking you up on that offer of some logo consultancy as
2: well. <laughs> Look forward to Watch it.
0: This